song poker. Hello and welcome to Song Poker and this is a special bonus edition because it's Christmas Day, Merry Christmas all and Ian and I are going to talk about uh, a favourite Christmas track of ours because it's a bonus, it's a real bonus. We're coming to you with a bonus episode. And actually it's a quick addendum really to our previous Xmas song pod. Um, works in tandem because actually I felt like this song deserves a special poking and prodding around within its glands and I've said that it's one of your favourites but I suspect that's probably a lie isn't it Ian? Um, I Hello everyone, Merry Christmas I was just letting you waffle on there because I was, I, was, I was hoping you'd get to that point where you sort of flounder and sort of run out of words and start sort of gibbering at the screen like a goldfish but that didn't happen No I've been um, floundering for many years What was the question? Do I like, do you, do I like do this you, song? Do you like this song? We should actually probably reveal what the song is um, Well before we do let me reveal that I do like it it gives me a very powerful reaction whenever I hear it Excellent, that's, that's good to know because it's not necessarily the most quintessentially Christmas of Christmas songs is it you know no I mean this is good we can we can actually see how long we can spin this out without naming the song (laughs) but the the sort of theme of suffering and misery and deprivation that it that it sort of delves into is in many ways kind of counterintuitive with the um, conspicuous consumption and glorious gravy chin satisfaction of what we associate with Christmas Day and within that dichotomy uh, lies the genius of the song. Yes, sorry, you're going to have to talk longer. I'm drinking a cup of tea with <laughs> Lady Grey. It's not just tea, obviously, oh, it's I'm Lady sorry. Grey. I think when, when when this song was released and mm. uh, we were nine years old, it was extremely impactful, wasn't it? It, it was culturally significant. Well, it was kind of, I, I guess, because we were sort of hearing about it, you know, on the radio and on TV shows like Blue Peter and News Round, and it just it just became the most important thing that had ever happened, yeah, presumably. I think that's true. And yeah, it was it was culturally huge and massive and crusading and towering in a way that, for example, the Grange Hill casts "Just Say No" was not. Uh, let me stop you there because. We'll talk about Grange Hill at another point, perhaps, when we're doing charity singles. We don't want to, you know, spoil it. Nice. That would be good. Um, That would be a great episode. It will be, won't it? Yeah. Um, Good. So in 1984, what what were you doing? What were you into? Um, I was mainly into Star Wars figures and taping music off the radio, but with no great agenda or, or particular love of distinct genres or anything Mm. was 1984 the year of cliff richard and the young ones living doll oh it might have been mightn't it um because that that was very much my favorite single ever for a for a very long time mine too it was amazing wasn't it um yeah it really was but yeah but verify that stat yeah living doll just take a look at her hair (laughs) It's real. Do you know what? Was, that was what? 1986. That doesn't seem right because, I mean, the young ones hadn't it finished by then. Yeah, it had. Anyway, 1984, I think, was mm. a great year in pop music. Madonna really didn't uh, really serve first single but really hit the big time in in 84 and i think same could be said for prince as well we had wham still making you know big noise there there was 
Frankie Goes to Hollywood as well. Oh, marvellous. Yeah. Yes, you're right. That that was a very great year, and I was sort of churlishly unappreciative. At the time? Yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 I can remember taping all of those people off the radio, mm. um, which was the sort of the mid-80s version of streaming them on, on Spotify or Apple Music. It was it was just a lot cheaper than actually going out and buying any of it. There was a, a clock that struck thirteen. Oh, yes, in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, um, probably did. Did the Eurythmics do the soundtrack for that film, nineteen eighty four? In nineteen eighty four, they would have done. Yeah, so they're on the scene mm. with their sex crime song and and related mm. related things. Yeah, it was it was a good. A good time for music. If you were alive at the time, if you're if you're 21 now, you're probably not going to go back to that year and think. Mm. But arguably, this song was the biggest news of the year in music, and, it, and, and it made waves over in um, in America as well, across the pond, because um, they tried to emulate even better our success with their own charity single. Yes, they did, and and that was. Um, uh, <laughs> we are the world in 1985. We are the world. That was mm. it. Yes, I remember it had it had Jackson in it. Oh, and it I had, think it had Lauper. It did. Jackson and Lauper alone would have been enough to secure number one. But um, they they amassed a just an extraordinary collection of of stars that, that, that have never been seen since. Mm. No, the, they've been seen since. A collection, all of them. A yes, a collection like it has never been seen since. Right. It was so. It was very much like the the Avengers assembling, but musically in the eighties. It really was. However, right. it started yes. with this one, I think, which is um, this this song that we're here to talk yeah. about, which we still haven't named. No, and we, do you we think weren't... most? Do you think most people have probably guessed what it is by now? Or yes. I mean, we should okay. say that there have been other charity endeavours. You know, George George Harrison did um, did his bit for Bangladesh uh, back in the day. There's there's countless others. However, I just think in in the eighties in Thatcher's Britain, more of which later on, uh, because Thatcher does play a role in this. Are we going to name it? Should we name it? I think I think at this point people's appetites will be so wetted. Mm. They'll be they'll be they'll be moist. They'll be squelchy desperate to hear hear you say the name of the song well and who it's by. then i shall it is do they know it's christmas of course by band-aid the collective name of this charity supergroup featuring mainly british and irish musicians uh, so it was founded in 1984 by saint bob geldof and Saint Midjur to raise money for the anti-famine efforts in Ethiopia, which had been brought to global attention by Michael Burke. They did. They they, they were yes. uh, on yes. BBC News. Yeah, and and actually, it's incredible how swift an operation this was to get it to get it going. And I believe they recorded it on the twenty fifth of November, nineteen eighty four. Um, and it was released on Monday the 3rd of December. Yeah, it was a really quick turnaround to get these huge names at the time over to Psalm West Studios in Notting Hill for the big record. Do you want to talk us through some of the uh, some of the inestimable talents on this song? Yeah, let's. Well, OK, so it opens with Paul Young, and I don't think it's any great secret that actually those initial... Um, lyrics 
had been earmarked for another more significant performer than Paul Young. Do you know who that would have been? I mean, I could list thousands. (laughs) 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 Um, But specifically, no. Was it probably someone like Madonna? Uh, It wasn't, no. Um, It was Bowie. Oh. Because interestingly, most of the artists that were asked to record were British and Irish. Mm. Um, Mm. And there were very few Americans involved. In fact, I think there there was... a singer from Shalimar, and uh, and don't laugh. Shalimar. That's were... a really. You put out the bat signal. You say we need we need the greatest fucking singers <laughs> in the world, and you get some backing vocalist from Shalimar. Well, the thing, no, she was a lead vocal from Shalimar, and there was also a couple from Cool in the Gang. But <laughs> don't laugh. It's rubbish. Well, listen. On a very serious note, actually. Mm. Back in 84, there were very few black UK artists. Sade had hit the big time, but I know that she's not there. So she's one of the conspicuous absences, actually. But in terms of young black um, UK artists, recording artists, there were a scant selection, um, which is really strange. And I think really sort of symptomatic of where we were at the time I guess because going back to the American version the, the We Are The World their greatest artists yeah. all, uh, uh, incredible black pop soul stars there but we, we didn't have anyone of that ilk I'm trying to think back to the 80s and I can remember acts such as Musical Youth who I feel might have been slightly later No Musical um, Youth M- Musical Youth hit in 83 I think or 82 but uh, but, okay. but by, by okay. 84 really weren't weren't a thing Uh Five Star Five Star again I think were probably 85 86 so again that mm-hmm. was probably them you know pushing through in a market that was just really, crying out for it re- Yeah just re- when you when you think of all the you know from from sort of the the Motown era onwards all the great music from that part of the world, and it it just it just wasn't there in in Britain, was it? We had um, we had Stock Aitken and Waterman, and we had mm. Scar. Yeah. So the fact that they had a couple of um, delegates from America, from Shalimar and Cool and the Gang, there. Um, <laughs> stop laughing. Black artists weren't really represented in this first incarnation. Um, and there were other notable absences. David Bowie, I believe he was over in America and couldn't fly back uh, in time. He made amends by being heavily involved in Live Aid in the summer of the, the following year, as did Dire Straits. Now, Dire Straits were absolutely bloody enormous back in 84. But again, Mark Knopfler and co weren't part of the original Band Aid recording. Paul McCartney wasn't involved in it. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Rolling Stones weren't involved. All of them were were involved in Live Aid later on, perhaps once they realised what a massive splash Band-Aid had made. Mm. No Cliff Richard. I mean, we'll cope. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's the sort of person you would expect to be there in a sort of mum-bothering kind of way. I guess, because he was so achingly uncool at this point. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if people like, you know... Geldof and Midjure would have reached out to Cliff Richard in the first place because, you know... Probably not, but then, of course, Cliff uh, was then involved in the second version, Band-Aid 2, in 1989. So I seem to remember he might have been a little aggrieved at not 
being asked to do it. However, it would have been surely worse for it. And talking about being achingly uncool, Phil Collins is, of course, um, uh, actually in it, providing drums. That's that's what you expect from Collins. Providing drums. Yeah. Yeah. I believe there was a little bit of snobbery at the time because certain artists that will remain unnamed, Paul Weller, Sting, Bono, would not be seen with Phil Collins. Wow, as early as 1984. (laughs) Yeah. I assumed that he'd reached the sort of bottom of his cultural currency sort of in the 90s. I would have thought he was kind of a going concern in the 80s but no i think and i and i think judging by the um the brown tank top he's wearing in the video i can understand weller's point really yeah it's not the most um he was never a flamboyant frontman really collins he was never you know he 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 was he wasn't ziggy stardust he wasn't even uh, roy wood no i mean this is not necessarily the time to sort of really um uh, analyze Phil Collins' sartorial uh, gift to the world, but no. yeah, it was a, it was a fucking disaster. Let's face it. Yeah, sure. Um, so okay, but so so who so we've got the backing singer from from Shalimar. <laughs> Call of the gang, Sh- Shalimar. Right, Paul Weller, right. Sting, Bono, Weller, Sting, Bono. Paul Young opens uh, opens yep. the track. There's Boy yep. George. He records. I believe it's the second line. Anyway, he really knocks it out of the park, but he flew in very late and he was the last to record. He was probably um, friends with Mr. Smack at the time, as yep. uh, you put it so delicately yep. last yep. last episode. Um, I like to employ euphemism for any of our younger listeners. Mm. Anyway, it, yep. w- it was a fantastic lineup. Status quo were there, but apparently their recording of some of the lines were deemed unusable. <laughs> Whatever you want, do, 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 do. we want some food. Do, 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 do. We want some water. Yeah, it would be it would be terrible. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if 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 certain musicians who shall remain nameless, Sting, Bono, Paul Weller, mm. refuse to appear with Collins. I can't see them eager to form a line with, say, Rick Parfit. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why, but I always laugh whenever I say Rick Parfit. Sounds like a nice dessert, doesn't it? It does. Hello, I'd like a Rick Parfit, please, <laughs> with uh, extra ice cream. Thank you. In fact, I think I should probably um, call him Rick Parfait. I think. I think from now, now on, we should. When we when we do the status quo episode, and God, please, let's never do a status quo episode. But when we do, it will be Rick Parfait and um, Rossini. Yeah, I also like yeah. to refer to Sting. Uh, as the bitter sting of tears because uh, he he sings his own name in the track does he so he's like the the og gaga yeah i really <laughs> i really like that as a um a pub quiz question when i host pub quizzes uh, like who's the only artist uh in band-aid to sing their own name and it's of course the bitter sting of tears oh god <laughs> <laughs> What do you I make of um, what do you make of Bono's um, f- famous line? Uh, he's been lauded for that performance of that lyric, although obviously there was a, at the time there was a little bit. Of, he he wasn't sure whether he really wanted to sing that. He wasn't sure he was on message, but he really did sing it well. And in subsequent versions, he's always been on that line. He's kind of clinged to it. He wouldn't let anyone 
Tom Chaplin from Keane, for example, take it off him? No, I mean, if if you if you have a line like that and you can defend it, you certainly you certainly can defend it from someone <laughs> the the ilk of Chaplin, yeah. who I imagine would put up a very weak public school. Uh, to be you know, onslaught, but you'd be very easily repelled. So no, I'm, the 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 Bono line is one of the two lines for me that are really um, you know that really stand out. The 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 thing for me, whenever it it comes on, and you get that. So is it is it a bell or something tolling or, or there's some sort mm-hmm. of thing that and the the hairs on my arms go up. Do they? Oh. You know, it's like oh, and you've got a lot very hairy arms. Very, very hairy arms. The the, the werewolf boy of uh, Maryland, they call me. Um, and but but once that's over and Young comes in, you're you're just waiting for George and Bono. Yeah, because oh. those two, my my lordy, they really own that song. Yeah, George's uh, George's performance is lovely in it. Really nice. Yeah, yeah. such a good voice. Um, I noticed as well Morrissey uh, wasn't uh, on the recording and you know in 1984 the Smiths had really hit big uh, however I don't believe he was invited to to participate uh, and I think several years later in Time Out magazine he gave he gave his views about the song shall I read them to you oh, I'd love to hear them um, I'm not afraid to say oh, you just got to you, you've got to imagine I'm not afraid to say yeah you've got to imagine that really smug condescending sort of sneery way uh, that Morrissey speaks awful. awful I'm not afraid to say that I think Band-Aid was diabolical or to say that I think Bob Geldof is a nauseating character many people find that very unsettling but I'll say it as loud as anyone wants me to in the first instance the record itself was absolutely tuneless one can have great concern for the people of Ethiopia but it's another thing to inflict daily torture on the people of Great Britain it was an awful record considering the massive talent involved and it wasn't done shyly. It was the most self-righteous platform ever in the history of popular music. Now, if that was a review of, of Band-Aid 2, I'd sign off on that quite happily. Mm. But that's a very mean-spirited, hateful, bitter, jealous, vengeful and, and wrong summation of Band-Aid. I know, and it's so surprising from someone like Morrissey. It's almost like he's, you know, trying to dismantle his entire career just using his words it's almost like he's um he's psychotic or at least sort of willfully um contrary we're not going to be doing a, a morrissey episode are we i'd like to talk about the smiths but i understand that you don't really dig them so that probably won't happen. i you know i like i like the music but um i find any endorsement of the man and his daffodil waving racism to be anathema right well, let me correct you there, because it was a gladioli. Well, it just proves he was an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> and um, am I right in thinking Duran Duran were involved? Yeah, yeah. Simon Le Bon takes a, uh, takes a, takes a hit in it, and um, yeah, the rest of them are there, as are elements of Spandau Ballet, Heaven 17. Marilyn is there. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boomtown Rats, uh, sort of somewhere at the back. Who now? Who actually wrote the song? It was it was Yur, wasn't it? It was Yur with uh, with Geldof, I believe. Yeah, because it was, and this this must have you know got to got to Bob over the years. But this was 
by far and away the best thing he ever did. Or did Live Aid itself, the event, um, uh, trump it? I mean, it's... well, you know, sure, but um, in terms of his musical legacy, when 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 he dies and they release Bob Geldof's greatest hit, oh. and it's 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 a single, and it's do they know it's Christmas? Mm. He he must feel aggrieved that no matter what he's gone on to do since then and even before then, there was the song about Mondays, probably some others, but but no one really knows any of it because it's uh, it's all about the Christmas. I like Rat Trap. I really do like that track. But, um, yeah, I know what you mean. He used music to unite the world in a brief period of real moral outrage. And confronting Thatcher in person, trying to get her to re- remove the VAT from the single sales. Oh, good. Was did he did quite he, memorable. Did he biffer on the hooter? He didn't. He, he remained calm and civil and got what he wanted in the end because Thatcher you know finger ever on the pulse of public opinion mm. realised that the Tories looked dreadful by taking VAT from the single I mean she was I, I, I would assume she was fairly sanguine at that point in her career about looking dreadful I mean she'd <laughs> she'd done quite a lot of dreadful things in the last five years and there was there was five more to come but um, let's let's not go down that awful Thatcher cul-de-sac let's just salute sir bob for standing up to the evil milk snatching tyrant Uh, and giving us this great song should we mention in the other incarnations as well so band-aid 2 happened five years later (laughs) that was the stock aiken waterman kind of version yeah exactly so it, it was given over to stock aiken and waterman um and their stable were invited mm. to sing. So you you had Banana Rama, you had Bross opening. There was there was Cliff as well on it. Yeah, which which version do you prefer? Well, put it like this: I'm aware of the first version. Mm. I'm aware it has been redone at least twice. I have never heard another version, and I would not wish to. Oh, so you didn't hear the 2004 version. So 20 years on, we had people like Chris Martin, Robbie Williams, Dido, Will Young, Dizzy Rascal, who created some Mm. extra lyrics of his own, Tom Chaplin from, from Keen. Oh, Chaplin. Yeah. Bono. Damon Albarn was asked to contribute. um, Right. And did. However, didn't want to sing. He was the tea boy. Yeah, he's... um, That's nice. Yeah, I wonder if it is nice. Well... I think it's nice. I mean, that that version does sound better than Band-Aid 2, straight out of the blocks. I mean, you know, say what you like about Robbie Williams. He's... He's better than big fun, you know. And I guess most of those acts went on to be on uh, Live 8, which was, what, 2006. So um, yay to them. Yeah. But being the T-boy, because you don't want to... Why would David Albarn want to be in a charity song with Robbie Williams? No, uh, yeah, that's 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 true. He didn't want to be. Yeah. And so, yeah. so it was some sort of compromise where he was the T-boy out of some sort yeah. of snobbery, I think, on his behalf. Yeah, um, I, w- I would expect so. Snow Patrol at the time were invited, I believe, and they were huge back in 2004. I think Live 8 was 2005, wasn't it? 
just to summarise. Oh, do you know what? Yes, it might have been. Yeah. Um, and t- Tom York provided keyboards. Nigel Goodrich was um, producing on it. So I think it had a good production on, on the track. So would you would you recommend that for anyone who, like me, has willfully avoided hearing subsequent versions of the song? You think that's actually worth a a gulp? I think it's quite. I think it's a half decent version. Certainly better okay. than the final or the last incarnation which was the ebola charity uh which wow. which, which, well, which had its lyrics significantly changed in response when was to that already i'm concerned that ebola is too specific a, a, a phenomenon to motivate the kind of a-list celebrities so i'm going to ask who was involved in the ebola single yeah so the ebola single was uh was Band-Aid 30, so it was 2014. Um, right. And, again, it was mainly British artists, Sam Smith, Ed Sheeran, uh, Rita Ora, Chris Martin, Bono again, of course. One Direction Obviously. were involved. Christ. Um, yeah. Oh. And I'm not sure it got to number one, did it? Uh, it yes. I mean, that's... It should have. I mean, really, it should have done. Yes. Yeah, so it got to number one for for the one week, the first week that it was um, released. And and I'm not sure if this comparison has ever been drawn before, but do they know it's Christmas? Is very much like Three Lions in that when they first arrived, they were culturally huge, and then every time they go back to the well and re-release it every four years, it's to diminishing returns. Yeah, that, I think that's I think that's fair. Although the two thousand and four think had a little bit of cool about it. There were some representatives from the Thrills, from Ash, from Morchiba. Did they have anyone from Shalimar? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Um, so, 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 right, okay. Putting you on the spot because oh. we know that we know you like Mr. Bono. Mm. Um, we know you're a fan of of Boy George's delivery. Mm. Take those away from the Band Aid song, mm. the original, the OG. Yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? And what are the highlights that we're left with? Oh, without um, Sans Bono, Sans Bono, and Sans um, Sans, Sans George, Boy George. What you're left with? Glenn Gregory from Heaven 17. <laughs> mm. I mean, I was going to go Le Bon next, probably, for me. There's an intensity to his delivery. Right. Um, it's all about the voices that... Ha- the, the most passionate voices or the most earnest um, or, 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 or the most sort of... The, the biggest widescreen voices just had the sincerity that kind of nailed the message into the hearts of certainly people of our age. Yeah, and perhaps I'm, you know, we we were a bit unfair about Paul Young earlier on, but he, you know, he opened the the, the track because Bowie couldn't couldn't do it. I I feel I imagine right. You, it's twenty years ago. You've gone to a Bowie gig, say, you know, some somewhere, mm. Brixton Academy, wherever. Mm. Little little guy comes out and says, "Sorry, due to illness, Mr. Bowie will not be appearing. Instead, Paul Young." You'd, you wouldn't feel happy about that. He's no substitute. I take your point. Um, I, I note actually on the, the original B-side that the members of Big Country, Bowie himself, Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, of course, and Paul McCartney yeah. um, do spoken messages. We should also point out at this point that Ethiopia follows the 
Orthodox calendar. Uh, and so Christmas is celebrated there on the 7th of January. Yes, it is. Um, um, so so there's an irony there because, you know, there's all of us on the 25th of December wondering if they know it's Christmas. And of course it isn't. It's not. No, not not yet. And of course, half the country, I think it's a sort of pretty even split between um, the Muslim and Christian world uh, in Ethiopia. Half of them didn't really care anyway. And actually, at the time, I believe Ethiopia was under a communist government and those sort of religious festivities were discouraged anyway. Mm. But more importantly, and this may you may need to Google this if you don't have this fact at your fingertips, mm. but how much money did the song, or I should say the single, yeah. raise for famine in Ethiopia? And I want before and after VAT. I, I believe it made something like $24 million dollars bloody hell uh, and that sum has obviously uh, gone up considerably over the years um, and of course it was dwarfed by what we are the world uh, raised and what live aid itself raised as well but at the same time and by the same token you wouldn't have had those other two without this ergo therefore this song probably raised i don't know how many but hundreds, hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions. this, this, hundreds this of millions. song as a result of Midjur and bob geldof's uh, idea and drive just to get things going um mm. this this song is responsible for hundreds of millions of pounds raised so the compassion of two artists I, you know, I would say it's the most important song of the 80s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think that's um, it, certainly for the UK. And yeah, as I said, every time I hear it, every time you hear that kind of haunting opening, mm. it's a very powerful. And obviously, half of that feeling is nostalgia, but also half of it is the reminder of those images that Michael Burke put on the nine o'clock news and, and probably the six as well. I don't imagine they kept it rigorously siloed when you've got a big story like that it goes everywhere yeah um it was a horrible thing to see and interesting as as seems to always happen that the biggest response to these things doesn't come from governments or politicians or elon musk but it comes from the creative industries nice point indeed yeah. and it's a no amount of uh, morrissey and his ilk could make me think otherwise no quite right too it's a great song it's a wonderful thing and it's uh a massive part of of, of life in the 80s mm. so unless you have anything else to say on the subject of do they know it's christmas i have a christmas treat for you do you indeed in the form of i didn't get you a gift because i you know can't be um. bothered but i have written a quiz oh how nice okay yes are you feeling are you feeling calm? Uh, I'm feeling collected. Right. Uh, <laughs> ironic, because it's a question uh, all about your taxes. So you certainly <laughs> will do. Oh, shit. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> so, so when we were kids, on Christmas Day, you could look forward to watching a Bond film. Yeah. Um, sadly, today, ITV's Bond DVD collection has fallen into a pile of old CDs, and it's all got very mixed up like in the Answer Smash round of House of Games. Let me give you an example so you can see how this is going to go. Good, because I have no idea. Right, so Answer Smash, you will arrive at two 
distinct answers from the clue. Right. And you have to run them together. And it, it will be apparent how they run together when you have okay. both the answers. Right. So, for example, the, 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 the sample question. Which 1981 Roger Moore Bond film featuring Topol and Carol Bouquet mm-hmm. is a 1960 Roy Orbison classic? Okay, so so that's for your eyes only the lonely. That is exactly right. Ah. That is the that is the format for this quiz. Cool, right? Um, so yeah, okay. Question one. Right. In his final official outing as 007, Sean Connery stops Blofeld from destroying Washington D.C. with the help of a 1986 hit for orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Diamonds are forever. I can't think of the OMD song. They had You'll kick it, yourself. It's, I, it's, it's, oh. Forever. Um, I can only think of Enola Gay and <laughs> Joan of Arc. Are, yeah, no, that would be what? Diamonds Are for Enola Gay. That would, that would. What, what is, no, what? so do you, do you want the answer? Yeah, I do need, I need the answer. Okay. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever Live and Die. Oh, I never for, know. Oh, I never know. I never me. know why. Forever live and die. die. Yeah, of course. Oh, so oh, I'm writing dreadful. down. I'm writing down failure yeah. by that question. Um, you'll want to do better on the next one. Question two: Bond faces the redoubtable Rosa Klebb in this 2004 song by U2. <sighs> right from Russia with love. Oh, 2004. So it's so it's how to dismantle an atomic bomb. Absolutely. Right. So there is a reason, perhaps, why this song doesn't immediately leap to mind in that, like most of that album, it was fairly bad. Was it actually a single? Because they had Vertigo. No, no, it was was just, it was a a song off the album. I don't believe it was a single. (laughs) Oh, Christ. But you're encyclopedic. No, that's on a later album, isn't it? No, that's very recent by by their standards. That's only about eight years old. I'm going to have to put you out of your misery. Okay, yeah. So this one is from Russia with love and peace or else. Oh, yeah, love and peace or else. Yeah, that's, that's so like that. again, I'm that's writing failure. failure. Yeah. Failure. Question three. Yeah. <clears throat> Roger Moore's third outing as James Bond right. features Barbara Back and the hidden track from Blur's 2003 album Think Tank featuring Phil Daniels. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Am I right with that now? Because now my brain is fried, and I can't even think of that's the actual. You're, that's you're going, it. you're going in the right that's direction. Barbara Bach, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know the, the I don't know the hidden track on oh, the album. Sorry, it's the best thing on that album. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me, White Noise. Writing down the word failure. Oh God, it's going to be a, a cold and lonely Christmas where you are. Oh. Are you ready for question four? I'm not sure I am now. I'm really, really, no, I'm really it's... disappointed with myself. I think you'll get question four. Okay. Um, but to be fair, I thought you'd get the first three, and that was <laughs> woefully optimistic of me. Uh, to Paris with a conspicuously aged James Bond, mm. Grace Jones, and a truly terrible chart topper from One Hit Wonders, Rage Against the Machine. Okay, a view to a killing in the name of. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, bang on. Uh, Absolutely. got Nailed that. I quite like that. You song. nailed that. Well, a lot of people do. I just wrote that to be willfully sort of, you know... Morrissey-like. Co- combative, mm. yeah. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Question five. 
Emilio Largo oh. holds NATO to ransom with two stolen atomic bombs while REM undertake a long, fruitless journey to stardom on 2001's Reveal. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Thunderball, or are you thinking of um, the unofficial Bond? Well, I'm certainly thinking of... Thunderball, but was was Emilio Largo still the the villain in in the unofficial one, or did they change the name? I can't remember whether they changed the name. What's the final track on Reveal? It's that's a, uh, that's Beach a ball. ball? Or something. Oh, Beach Ball. Is that what yeah. you're talking about? It's so no Thunder no. Beach Ball. <laughs> that that wouldn't work. <laughs> so the the long fruitless journey towards stardom on Reveal. The the answer is Thunderball the way to Reno. Oh, you fucker. <laughs> I get it now. That's great. That's 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 genius. But again, I I feel I must be tarnished with the failure brush. Well, we can revive this quiz next time. There's uh, a topic that I can think of some questions about. So don't think you've escaped. You're merely off the hook for now. Yeah. No. I'm. I I was. I'm impressed. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's 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 a pleasure. So, what are you going to do with the rest of your Christmas day then? Um, I think I will, um, actually, I, I'm on a diet at the moment, so I, I haven't really... So eaten. not even, oh, not even yeah, eating. Yeah, I'm not really eating very much at all. I didn't get many presents either. We're recording this in advance, but I can say with almost... Don't, don't ruin I, the magic. I, I, I can say this with, with, with a degree of certainty, that mm. I will not be getting very much for Christmas. That's that's a real shame. I won't be getting anything either because my wife doesn't celebrate Christmas. She doesn't observe, does she? She doesn't, no. no. Oh, well, um, same time next year then. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yes, yes. Silver bells. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you uh, sh- See you in the new year. Yeah, a couple of weeks we'll, do, we'll talk about something else. Bye. Bye. Song Poker was produced by Electric Sodcast Studios.